Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Stu and I have a mutual um, love and affection for a concept that we call reconditioning, that he calls performance therapy. They're very, they're like sister and brother concepts, a little bit different in the way they're necessarily applied, but fundamentally the... The belief systems are are uh, not not dissimilar, and so um, I wanted to bring Stu on because uh, I love the way Stu thinks. Um, Stu is the CEO of Altus. If you've never heard of Altus, you should really look them up. Um, Altus is in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and Stu uh, and a few other guys uh, of notable uh, ilk like Dan Path and Andreas Bem uh, have created a, a really interesting place where. They train um, track and field athletes from all over the world, uh, and then they host people for mentorships and education. Um, and as I heard Stu say the other day, we started out as a track and field place that, or an athletics place that, that taught, did some uh, mentorship and teaching on the side, and now we're a teaching and mentorship place that does some track and field on the side. <laughs> so it's metamorphosized over time, but they do a lot of great things from an educational perspective. So with uh, all that uh, said, I'm going to uh, welcome Stu. Welcome here. And um, I want to start by, um, you know, getting right to it, bud. You you have been, um, well, a real uh, driver of this concept of performance therapy. And maybe you can just introduce to everybody what you believe performance therapy is and and i was reading the other day in, in your course that it's not trackside therapy so maybe differentiate those things and sort of make people understand what it is your philosophy is and why you believe in it so much okay uh thanks guys for having me on first and foremost thanks everybody for for tuning in as well scotty much uh, much appreciate what you do and and you as a human and as a therapist and as an educator i have a ton of respect for you so thanks for having me here Um, so for me it began sort of in the mid 90s Um, I I was friends with an athlete that was working with Dan Path coach Dan Path who's our head coach with Altus he was based at the time in uh, Austin Texas as one of the coaches at the University of Texas and was working like I said with a buddy of mine I had a small group of sprinters in Calgary that I was sort of just doing traditional work with just trying to get them faster get them a bit stronger just to you know, do my best to try to get these guys performing as well as I knew how to do. I uh, wasn't really doing any therapy, just, just, just coaching, basically. Got down to Austin, 
And my eyes were opened to a, a new and different and what turned out to be better way of doing things. Um, I went on the, on, on the track there on the first day and Dan was out there with probably a dozen athletes, including Donovan Bailey and Bruni Saran and uh, Glennoa Gilbert and a bunch of other fast Canadians, uh, Obadeli Thompson as well. Just a, just a lot of really elite sprinters. And it seemed like to me that they, that first day at least, because this was very new to me, that they spent more time on a table than actually running. This was, this was, this was very new. So there were, there was, a, there was at least two therapists out there on the side of the track and the athletes would do a run, maybe come back, jump on the table for two or three minutes, go back and do a run again. And this continued throughout the course of the session. So I talked to Dan after the fact, I said, well, you know, what's going on here? And it's, it's, I remember this day really well. I mean, it's, 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 it kind of set up the journey or my own journey over the course of the next 25 years or so, where he said, well, if you're going to be a coach or if you want to be an elite coach, you need to understand that keeping your athlete on the track or on the field is probably the most important thing for you to know. And that, that isn't just training well. That isn't, isn't just doing great strength and conditioning. It isn't, it isn't just a good diet, which is kind of what I knew, right? My background was strength and conditioning. I had a little bit of experience in nutrition and supplementation. I was obviously, you know, starting down this road and being a sprint coach. He said, the main thing that you need to understand as a coach is to keep your athletes healthy. And to do that, you need to actually, for me at that point, Dan, Dan did much of the therapy, but he also had a, a few therapists out there as well, because Donovan had a, had a budget, where he could afford to have his own therapist, but Dan was probably doing 70 or 80% of the therapy and all the other coaches. So he's, you know, it's, it's, he just, he ingrained in me the importance of the coach, especially at a coach at my level where I, we couldn't, I couldn't, the athletes I was working with couldn't afford to bring in their own domain specialist therapist. So I had to figure that out myself. What does that look like? And for sure, part of that is just being smart with loading and ensuring that we're not doing stupid stuff a lot. But part of it is also, you know, these are high-performance people who are moving in high-performance ways and stress, stressing their bodies in really, really challenging and difficult ways. And for us to understand that, it was contingent upon me to understand more about the anatomy, the kinesiology, the, you know, the, 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 the try and do, do, you know, um, just basic therapy and massage principles. So that's kind of where it started. Okay, I need to understand how to keep my people on the track so they have an opportunity to be fast. How do I do that? Well, I start integrating it with training so I can have them move better. Um, that was the one, the biggest thing probably I learned from Dan. But then also, once they're finished training, how can I now move to better prepare the athlete for the next session? So that's where it started, right? It was just... You know, the, the analogy that Dan gave me was these high performers, high performers are F1 cars. You don't take an F1 car straight onto the track and just go into a race. You know, they'll do a couple laps. They'll come back into the garage. We'll check it out. And the cameras go in and out. We get we get some feedback from the driver and how it felt. You know, there'll be a little tuning. They might do another lap or two. They'll come back in again, some more tuning. And then they're ready to do maybe one fast lap. Off they go. One fast lap. They come back in. There's a feedback, there's, you know, there's the conversation. And then, you know, this, this is what sprinters are essentially. And this is, you know, in effect, what most elite performers are in most sports. So with that analogy is where I sort of took that over the course of the next decade or so, 
And I probably, truth be told, did too much therapy, you know, where I became a, a uh, probably more of a therapist than I was as a, as a coach. I was probably doing eight or 10 hours of therapy a day for the next decade. But what it, what it did allow for me was the ability to feel tissue, to understand change, to understand how the effect that I had on the system and how athletes would move based upon those effects. That's a long and rambling answer, Scotty. I'll, I'll pause there and I'll come in for it. It's a beautiful answer and it sets, the, the, sets the rest of this up really well. I want to just let everybody know that we invite <laughs> you to ask questions. You can post them. Jamie's kind of monitoring. I'm going to sort of um, run the Q&A for or the dialogue with Stu for the next little while, but then we'll swing into some questions and make sure that we get most of your questions answered before the end, because I know Stu wants to answer those as well. Um, sort of to pivot off of that, like you and I have been around long enough and kind of gone through this that we, you know, back call it 40, 30 years ago, especially when Dan was first uh, in his career and probably one of the reasons why he stewarded into the way he approached things was there really wasn't a lot of, call it what we now call IST around. <clears throat> you, you had to be sort of a jack of all trades. And then about 20, 25 years ago, we started to see this advent of uh, bigger performance teams uh, in, in organizations. And as, as, as has been a struggle for you it has been a struggle for me in the sense that these professionals would become very expert at what they did but they would live sort of in their silo of professional uh, capacity and then we started to talk about this idea of integrated performance teams but the integration really never happened because people were in their silos and they would sort of have their domain of what they felt was their expertise and it was kind of like don't touch this stuff and you know both of our philosophies to some degree fly against that in the sense that we, 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 we want to see people become more horizontally sound and understand what each other does and sort of where the nuance of our strengths lie and where we can support one another. Just comment on how that for you has changed over time and how you recognize the value proposition of the specialist, but also how you recognize how to get everybody sort of talking the same language in essence. Our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is going virtual. The Reconditioning Level 1 has been turned into a complete online experience, and all the time-tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual Zoom sessions. Reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients. Check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the reconditioning revolution. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it to a, to a you know, you, you just nailed it, Scotty, really, right? It's um, high-performance sport is complex and chaotic at the best of times, and it requires the type of, the people who work in high-performance sport need to understand, you know, basically need to be generalists. You know, if, I'm sure lots of people out there have read David Epstein's range book, and he talks about wicked environments and kind environments. And if you've got a kind environment where you understand sort of cause and effect, it's probably best to have a specialist involved there. But if you've got a wicked environment where we don't really truly understand cause and effect until hindsight, 
it's more it's better to have generalists where we can you know we have a little bit of expertise in a number of different different roles and scenarios and like i said that just goes back to my first conversation with dan and yeah i i thought i was a pretty good generalist coach back in 1994 um no idea why i thought that i'd only just started coaching for the last sort of five six years but i thought because i understood a strength and conditioning i understood um, you know, nutrition, I understood some of the biomechanics. I knew sports science was important that, yeah, I, I get this. Right. And Dan, you know, Dan said to me, it was more about, you know, coaching is understand it's, it's basically spinning plates. If people remember those guys that used to go on Letterman and they'd have these poles set up with a plate on top of the pole and you're just going around and keeping these plates spinning, and, you know, you know, some of the best plate spinners maybe have 30 plates spinning and to get to, to, un, to keep those plates spinning, you not you don't have to just spin the one plate, but you need to understand what they're all doing, their you know their degree of rotation, how fast they're spinning, so you know where to go. So you have to keep them all going at the same time. Coaching is the same thing, right? That's the, that's the essence of being a generalist. It's understanding all of the systems that are in play at the you know at, at, that are important or essential for the performance of an athlete, and not only just in understanding the ones that are in play, but how they're all integrating with each other. And that's been the biggest challenge, right? That's 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 what is so exciting, I think, for for you and, and guys like you and for me. It's you know tr- how how do we understand the integration of all these little microsystems in this big system, you know, in this greater ecosystem in the big in the big system we call the world, right? It's just it's 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 fractal and it's never ending, and it's so it's so much fun. Now, the you know that's not the way that performance sport has gone, like you said. Right. We've had all these domain specialists that have probably been more interested in protecting their own little silo and their own little specialty. And when they get in a room and they get into these integrated teams and have these conversations, they're probably at the time, you know, and this is definitely getting better, like you said. But there was a time when they're more interested in just sort of defending their corner than they are in having honest and open communication with everyone else and trying to learn from everyone else so it's um i think we're getting better uh i'd be interested in to, to hear what you think about that but it's uh from my experience most teams at least now understand the importance of you know a more of a horizontal approach to things with you know obviously you know the domain specialists you know you've got a sports medicine doctor they need to know a lot about sports medicine but he also needs to understand the biomechanics of sprinting. He understand. He has, also has to understand a little bit about nutrition. Also has to understanding about load and adaptation to that load. Because if he all he knows is sports medicine, he's he's obviously he's pretty he's pretty useless actually in a, in a sport performance in a high performance environment. Because um, you know, like I said, the, the, that is a very wicked environment. It's very complex. It's very chaotic. So the uh, you know, from my experience, the ones who who do the best in these environments are those who have a, a broad understanding. The the what Isaiah Isaiah Berlin called the hedgehogs. Um, sorry, the foxes, not the hedgehogs. Hedgehog knows one big thing. The foxes know many little things. So I would just encourage people to be be foxes and not hedgehogs. <laughs> you foxy. <laughs> not not foxy. Foxes. <laughs> you can be foxy too. That's cool. <laughs> Walk me through. Um sort of when you're working with um, a few different professionals in your team sort of environment um, and you have an athlete that you're trying to uh, 
you're looking at the the movement that they're producing and the types of shapes and i know you're a big shapes guy and and what what your sprinters look like etc and you want to start to change things so you're you're deciding to apply an intervention and i want you to sort of take your cap of you have done the intervention but you're working with other people so how do you walk through this process of you you watch your athletes something's not right you want to intervene, you choose to intervene, then you re you reevaluate. How does that go for you? What does, how does that typically express itself in your environment when you want to make change in something that you see? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Uh, you know, to back up slightly, we've got to understand first and foremost, whether what we're trying to correct is an external or an internal factor. So of external factor, is it just a technical change that, that the, the athlete can apply that change but and, and isn't limited by any of the internal constraints. So that would be like a technical change where I would just say, hey, get your, get your knees up. Your knees are not coming up. So they have the ability to bring their knees up. They're just not. And then an internal factor is something that, okay, this, they, they're trying to get their knees up, but for whatever reason, they're not. They have this some sort of internal constraint that is not allowing them to get their knee up. So let's assume that first and foremost, that we've gone through that process We've, we've um, identified that this is an internal factor and we have to have some sort of therapeutic input, you know, whatever that is, to try to affect that. So let's say, let's say they can't get the knees up and we're saying, okay, your psoas is tight, whatever it is. So we'll work on your psoas and how'd you go? And now, now your knees are coming up. So it's, or they're not coming up. So it's essentially, it's, it's what you said is we'll, we'll watch an athlete move. It's very qualitative. Most of the work we do within this space is very qualitative. It's really difficult to quantify a lot of mechanical change, as you know, especially at speed and especially in sprinting and many of the other things that are involved in, in high-performance sport in, 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 the, in the context and the chaotic environment that, that it exists within. So it's a lot of it is just based on what we see and what feedback that we're getting from the athlete is. Does that feel any different? Does that feel better? And then for us, does it look any better? Does it look like it's smoother, more rhythmical? Does it look like if we were trying to affect, like I said, something specific, like the thighs coming up, the knees coming up, is that knee now coming up? So it's, it's um, you know, we'll, most interventions, and I have a rule on the track that we try to keep them less than three minutes. Um, so it's if we can't do it in less than three minutes, they get off the table and they just continue. We may come back again and look at it again. But it's, if you can't get it done in three minutes, we don't de- we don't deal with it, or we'll deal with it after after the session, and then we'll when, we'll watch the athlete move for at least two to three to four minutes. Uh, it it sometimes may take a little bit t- a little bit of time for whatever it is that the input that we've inputted into the athlete to manifest. It's not always going to happen immediately. Um, it sometimes will, but sometimes so. In, in our sport, it's it's sprinting, right? So athlete comes over, we do an input. Athlete goes away, we'll watch them sprint. We may not see a change on the first sprint. They'll come back, we'll do another sprint. If we don't see a change on the second sprint, then we can probably assume that whatever we have done has been the wrong thing at that point within the context of this scenario. And then we'll, then the decision is, do we get this athlete back on the table? Have we gone down the wrong road here? Do we need to continue digging? This is a very iterative process. Or... Okay, this is, this is enough. The athlete's been touched enough today. We've got to get along with the session, and we're comfortable enough with the mechanics, the way in which they're presenting, 
that this isn't going to be potentially injurious for the remainder of the session and will take some more time when we get back to the gym or back to the clinic or whatever thereafter or after the session. Cool. Does that make sense? Beautiful. Matrix Fitness is one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Their equipment and programs are used by athletes and coaches at all levels globally. COVID-19 has changed and will change so many things. During these uncertain times, Matrix's team of engineers have quickly put together its free home workout app and youth at home workout programs. With its launch just a couple of weeks ago, they now have first responders, pro athletes, and average folks using the guide to help them with their daily movement. This is a great example of how Matrix strives to be the best fitness company in the world to serve people and communities is their goal. You can download their free app and see additional resources at matrixtotalsolutionssupport.com. That is HTTPS www.matrixfitnesssolutionssupport.com. Um, you guys talk a lot about uh, dynamic systems theory in your performance therapy course, which I would want to do a shout out. I highly recommend um, Altus's performance therapy course and a lot of their educational stuff. Thanks, um, and, you know, not everybody sort of recognizes or understands that. And fundamentally, the idea of it is that you're, you know, you, you can't sort of go after the part and assume that by fixing the part, you're going to fix the whole. So maybe talk a little bit about that and your philosophical approach. Whereas when we go back to those silos, you know, the idea sometimes has been, you know, you've, you've got this tight X or Y, you do this, uh, you know, ART maneuver, et cetera, and then go back and they've got movement, but it's not necessarily integrating. There's not this kind of, what are, what are we looking at from a whole perspective? What do we want to change from a micro perspective and how do we re- Re- reconnect that to the to the whole and uh, I, I i let you elaborate on the, the philosophy or the thought process yeah it, it goes back to what i was talking about before my, sort of the, my first lesson from dan right this is and we, he, he probably didn't use this term and i did I definitely didn't understand the term but it was it was basically systems thinking it's understanding in systems rather than you know broad going in breadth rather than depth not looking at singular elements but looking at the interactions of all those elements so systems thinking was sort of born out of the 50s in the u.s uh, and the guy the first guy to really talk about it uh, at, at depth was uh von bertalanfi uh and he I, I, I identified three things that had to be in a system so you've got elements within the system you've got the interaction of the, all of those elements together and you have to have a purpose and if you've got all of those three things, then you have a system. And what we've done traditionally in sport and in science and in, in everything, all, you know, a lot of the things that we've done, we've focused on the elements. You know, we need to we need to understand more and more about these individual elements before we can understand how they interact. So I think we've we've sort of gone through that now. We've got a pretty good idea of whether you know whatever it is that we are interested in, whether it's sport or society or whatever. We've, we've gone, you know, probably 100, 150 years now where we have gone, reduced these little systems into these little elements and understand them to the nth degree. What we haven't done a really good job of is understanding the relationships between all of those elements and how those relationships and how they interact affect the purpose of the system at large. So from that's kind of how we look at everything. We look at it from a systems perspective that the isolated elements within the system aren't really that important. It's, it's important for us to know something about them, but it's much more important how they interact 
with and how they affect all of the rest of the element elements within that system and how that drives the purpose of the system. So, you know, it's, I, I gave the example before, of, and that is a very simplified reductionist answer I understand about, okay, the knee's not coming up, so let me look at the hip flexor. But it's, it's much more, obviously, um, complex than that. There's so many uh, interacting elements that lead to hip flexion or hip extension or whatever the movement that we're trying to understand is. And it's our job to, all right, what's the, what's the main driver of this? And it's important that I, that I don't say what is the cause of this or what is the root cause of this because a complex system just doesn't have root causes. Um, it's what is the driver? What is the, what is the one primary thing that I can affect that might have trickle-down effects on all the rest of these elements? And it's continual iterative process of trying okay what's the driver now that's the driver i'll get that that's had a knock-on effect on this now it's this now it's that now it's that because every problem that we solve opens up a new problem every time you affect something on the human body which is a complex adaptive system it opens up another issue it's that's 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 sport it's there's, there's we're never going to get thankfully we're never going to get to a point where we get yeah now that's we're good we got it now I'm happy with that. He's moving perfectly. That never happens, right? There's not a person who's watching this that says, yeah, I've done everything I can. Off you go. You're perfect. You're now moving perfect. That's, that just doesn't happen. So it's this iterative process of understanding how all of these little elements within this system affect each other for the overall purpose, whatever that purpose is, right? In, in our, in, it, it could be, okay, the purpose of this today is for this athlete in front of me to do a good A run, a good high knee run. And that's the purpose all the elements that are that are interacting to try to drive towards that purpose. Or if you zoom out a little bit, the purpose could be sprinting down the track. Or the, you zoom out a little bit more, and it could be sprinting, you know, in competition with two or three of their teammates. Keep on zooming out, and it might be okay. Now we're in a a high um, in competition environment, or it could be an Olympic Games, and just keep on zooming out. So it's coaching for me, and whatever it is we're doing. Is, is, is zooming in and zooming out at different levels of that system. So it's, um, you know, it, it, and you can go right down into obviously just, uh, you know, fascicle lengths and things like that and kind of zoom out and look at the muscle, how the muscle's interacting, and then how that limb interacts with the next limb, how the, the right side of the body is interacting with the left side, how the upper body is interacting with the lower body, and so on and so forth. It's like I said, it's fractal and it's, and it's endless, which is super exciting. <laughs> I love getting you going. The fact the fired up. I think we're going to really have a- frustrating as well. Super exciting, <laughs> and also very frustrating almost daily because we can't figure it out. There's yeah. no, there's no, there's no solution. You know, right. I like to say that you know, coaching and therapy is about how we manage our problems. It's not about solving our problems. You know, because as soon as we solve a problem, you know, guess what? There's another problem for you to solve. So we're just continue, continuing management. Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 
over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. We're going to ask a few of the questions that have been asked, and then uh, I'll swing back to some other topics. Uh, so first question in the list that you got there, James? So, yeah. <clears throat> Let me just turn it. So from Michael Silvestri, Stu, when talking about the ability to work in an integrated sports team with varying specialists slash generalists, from experience, how do you deal with backlash or the put-down, per se, of a given aspect of something you feel is important or key? Oh, how do I softball on that one for you, but <laughs> how do I how do I deal with a backlash? I mean, so I'm not I'm not certain what I understand. Do you guys? I'm not sure. I'm not certain if I understand the question. Perhaps the I think the the idea is that you you know there are going to be people uh, who don't necessarily uh, agree. agree with your viewpoint in an integrated team, okay, uh, okay. and maybe feel that they're they're knowledge or experience is the the most important one or the one that should supersede or what have you and sure. i know that, okay. that has okay. has been a moment yeah uh, right okay Fair enough. um so first and foremost is an appreciation that that person may very well be correct so we have to go in with all into all of those um uh meetings whatever it is and all of those opportunities with an understanding that i Believe it or not, Scotty, could be wrong. <laughs> Man, you have matured <laughs> in your own. Yeah, age. It's, it's taken me 25 years to get there, buddy, but it's, uh, I'm starting to figure it out. I've been wrong once or twice. So we need to go into these, these, you know, these, communication, um, um, these communications with some humility. And, yes, we have, you know, I've got my couple of areas of expertise. This, this person over here has got their couple of areas of expertise. And it's human nature to look through, look at this problem through that lens of our expertise. And sometimes it's going to be totally appropriate that we look through it with this very narrow lens. That's, you know, if an if a, if a, if a athlete tears their hamstring and it's a grade two hamstring tear, then I'm not the expert there. We're going to look through that with a fairly narrow lens that is going to be you know, from the sports medicine uh, doctor or whoever domain expert that I've got on that. But it's important then what we do thereafter. And we have, you know, thereafter is we have to take a pluralistic approach to it and understand, okay, you've got the domain expertise here. You're going to drive this bus, but what do you need from us as partners on this bus to help drive this forward? So it's okay, Doc. You're you're driving right now. Um, you know, physiotherapist. You're going to be you know, and on the passenger seat with him, just ensuring that we're going in the right direction. I, as the coach, am just going to be sitting behind and paying attention and having this interaction, these conversations. So it's understanding where all of our individuals' roles um, are on that on on the process going forward. Now, I guess going back to the question, if I believe that someone within that team is wrong. You know, it's it's there's, there's, we got two options there. We can fight it out, or we can have a conversation. And I've tried fighting it out, and believe it or not, that doesn't work either. Um, you know, it's you, you know that, Scotty. You've known me long enough that I've I've had many of those battles where you know that does come. Like you said, it, it comes with maturity, right? So it's but sometimes it's you know 
it depends on who's the lead, right? If I'm the, if I'm the head coach, I'm the coach. It's ultimately my responsibility. Sometimes I've, I've said to a doc, I don't believe that you are correct here. I'm going to go with what my, what I think based upon my experiences. I appreciate your view. I appreciate the lens that you're looking through. Um, I understand it, but I have a bigger understanding of the entire picture here. So I'm going to go with this rather than that, but thank you. And I'm going to come back to you and hopefully you'll be involved in this process going forward as well. So it's, I think it's important not to, like I said, not to have that fight, but be honest and open with the communication with whoever it is that may be disagreeing with you. Matrix Fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike, with equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner. Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance Team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols, so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer. I'm interested to play out to pivot off that, Stu. Just and I, I don't even know if you really have an opinion on this or or a viewpoint or suggested thought, but what you do and this you you are a coach and a performance coach in essence. So like you, 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 you coach and that's, that's more typical of track and field, but the coach kind of runs the, the whole show, so to speak. And I know Dan has always been in that when you get into sport, like say pro football or hockey or basketball, where you've got fundamentally your coach is coaching the game. And then you have this underpinning of all these other professionals that are supporting the performance in the game. So, you know, and, and we know over time, maybe 40 years ago, the coach kind of dabbled in other stuff, but that's one of the reasons why all this sports science kind of got created. So intuitively as a coach, this is, this is actually a question from my own, because I know one of the struggles with what, what I would call the sports science community is the sports science community has gotten pretty good at talking to one another, but the link between the coach and the sports science community is still a challenge. It's like the coach wants to do X, Y, Z and the sports science community thinks we should do, you know, ABC and they don't necessarily see eye to eye. What is, what is a better way of the two parties since you do both connecting with each other in essence to, to improve the same purpose. Yeah, it's, it's, well, you nailed it with the last word. It's, it's <laughs> identifying and agreeing upon what the purpose of this is. And if you feel as you're part of this team that the purpose of it is to collect GPS data or the purpose is to get these athletes, these players stronger, or if, you, uh, if your purpose is to keep the athlete healthy, then it's not going to work because that's not the purpose. The purpose is to perform better or, or be better or win more games. If the purpose has to be directed by that head coach, the head the, the manager, whatever it is. And if you don't agree with that purpose, it's just not going to work. You have to agree on it. You have to, and you have to be driven by that. Just like having a vision or a mission as a company. If you feel like you, Okay, I'm, uh, this is my vision and my mission today. And a month from now, you ask myself, you, I ask myself if I'm still aligned with this vision and mission, and I'm not. 
now I need to get off that bus or I need to change the vision and mission. And so it's, it's first and foremost is understanding what that is and then your role within that. And it's just, this is the challenge for me. This was a real challenge for me 20 years ago when I did work in team sport and why I, I eventually just, I can't do team sport anymore because it's not my vision. You know, I'm, I'm trying to buy into visions or purposes of people that I don't really agree with. And that's a real challenge. That's a really hard thing, especially in, in elite professional sport where most of the domain specialists, specialists that exist within as part of that support team know more about performance than the head coach does. It's, it's really challenging, right? It's, I, I don't think I could do it. Like I said, I couldn't do it, and I don't think I could even do it now. But it's, um, it's a big part of that is, like I said, is you've just got to park your own purpose and ensure that you're abiding by the purpose of, you know, the greater purpose of the team. And then it, it, that, just that cognitive switch, I think, should be enough to be able to have, if you're going into every meeting that way or every interaction that way, it should be enough to have a, a healthy um, culture and structure around what you're doing. But it's, it's not easy. And like, like I said before, and like you brought up, integrated teams were, were, were just a word for a while, you know, it's just a buzzword. We you know we've got a pet team or we've got an IST and it wasn't truly integrated. And the, and the, the key is in this, this is, this is integration. This isn't integration. It's not just having conversations, but it's an understanding everything about what goes into that purpose. See, again, it goes to what a system is. It's a system's thinking. If it's not driving the purpose, if all those elements aren't interacting, if one, if one of those elements isn't interacting to drive that purpose, then we've, we've got an issue. So we've just got to understand that that is the primary driving factor for everything that we do. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that was a bit of a cop-out, Scotty, but it's... Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I think you're, you know, to, to your point, I don't think there's always the, the perfect response in the sense that we're going to have this revelation moment where now we know how everybody gets along. But at the end of the day, your point is, is well said that we have to understand the purpose. And I think sometimes we get stuck, going back to that expertise piece, we get stuck in what we've been taught is our expertise. And we want to, in, in some degrees, showcase that or prove, prove that our value in that process when at the end of the day our value is our ability to to connect to the purpose yeah and it's 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 increasingly difficult if you've got somebody that you're working with that doesn't know or doesn't care right right so and that's that's the biggest challenge and that's where you just feel like all right i I just can't buy into this because this guy doesn't care about what i'm doing anyway Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who work in sport that that's their reality every day, right? It's, 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 I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. No, for sure. Um, speaking of questions, do we have another question? Ma'am? We do. So from Zachary Anthas to having been involved with a few countries now, several Olympic games, he's curious if you can compare and contrast the sports systems of Canada, us and Britain and what the differences strengths strengths are with each one. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Canada and the UK have strong and government-funded amateur sports systems. The US does not. The US is all about professional sport. Um, Canada and the UK is a lot about participation and not necessarily about performance. 
Where in the U.S., it's all about performance. If you're not good enough, you just got to get off the bus. And that's driven into athletes and coaches from the time they start competing. So that was a big difference. Um, the U.K. has the most respect and the most funds for amateur sport, more so than Canada and way more. Obviously, the U.S. doesn't, doesn't like, like I said, it has very little respect and funding for amateur sport, which is what I've you know, spent my career working in. So going to the U.K. was was um was an amazing experience for me so i went back to the uk in 2010 that was where you know i was i was born in the uk i moved to canada when i was 12 in canada for 28 years moved back to the uk and i went back there and worked with a federation which is essentially the you know one of the, the most popular sports in the country track and field it was funded at a level we you know i, I think and this is what you know my business partner kevin tyler says because he was head of coaching then it was the single greatest financial um, outlay into an amateur sport federation in history. I mean, the budget in track and field for that four years leading up to London was incredible. So you're going into the system now that is really well-funded. It's on the back pages of the sport papers every day. It's, uh, you know, everyone loves it. It was just an incredible uh, situation for me, right? So it's basically working in amateur sport at a professional level where funds was, wasn't a limiting factor, where in every other environment I've ever been in, it's all about funds. You know, Canada is, you know, you're always begging and borrowing and stealing money to try to do whatever, right? In the U.S., it's the same. There's no government funding here. So every federation down here are looking for, you know, uh, some sort of ph philanthropic adventures to just to, just to get, them, get them through. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's been really interesting. Uh, I, I much prefer... The uh, European way, you know, it's not just the UK, but most of the Europe is that way, where the, the amateur sports are well funded, and there's there's much more of a, a of a a level playing field between amateur sport and professional sport. In the US, as you guys know, it's all about the major four, probably not even the four; it's probably the two: it's football and basketball, and that's it. And everything else is just you know fighting for scraps. So it what it does do though is you know, through my 28 years in Canada or my, whatever it was, 18, 15, 18 years of working in sport in Canada, you've got to learn to be creative because no one's giving you anything. So, okay, what can I do with this? So, you know, we can't afford to have therapists. I need to understand how to be a therapist. We can't afford uh, nutritionists. Okay, I, I got to do that too. Psychologists, we can't afford psychologists. All right, I got to figure out how to do that. So it, 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 it forced me to be the person that I am, I think. And I think it's one of the reasons why we see so many great practitioners from Canada, because you've just got to figure it out. You know, like, look at Matt, you know, Matt, Matt's, Matt's one of the few, I think, polymaths, right? Matt Jordan, he just knows, he seems to know almost everything about everything because he's, he's been forced to, you know, or Steve Norris. I mean, you know, yourself, you know, there's so many really good, smart people in Canada because you kind of just got to figure your own way through this because no one's helping you. So it's, um, I, I really value my, my time there, uh, but I really enjoyed the time where we were actually, you know, um, funded to a degree where I thought it was, you know, deserved. And right. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell me about the, before we go to, we got, I think we have another question, but I'll, before I go into that one, um, you know, you, you are a voracious reader and writer and you're, uh, performance therapy course is, is a big read. I'm, I'm mashing my way through it. And what, 
What has you can say it's way too big. You can tell me it's uh, no, 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 no. It's, all right. it's 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 a masterful piece. Like, <laughs> what he loves, it's all good. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious what what um what you learned about the the sport you have become infatuated with in essence by having to write about it. Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. That's a great question, Scotty. It's um, Reading first and foremost is, is the most important thing. Um. And if you, if, you, if you don't read, I mean, it's really difficult to learn stuff. And the, the more you read, obviously, the more connections you can see. And the, the wider you read, the, the, you know, the wider, more broad you can make these connections. But I didn't feel like I really, truly began to understand what I thought. You know, what, was, what defined my methodology or my philosophy around sport performance until I started writing it down. Because writing it down just forced me to be able to communicate it in a way now where, because I live in my brain all day. Right. It's, and you live in your brain all day. So it's, we have our, our thoughts and we make these assumptions based on our own thoughts. We, you know, we don't we don't have to justify a thought to ourselves because it's all in there anyway. But when you're writing it down and you've got to justify it to other people, you know, it's the clarity that is required to do that, I think, is is been really, really helpful for me to better synthesize and understand my thoughts. And this is something like I'm not good at that yet. I mean, this. It's, I feel like I'm, I, I was talking to Maddie this morning. I feel like I'm getting dumber and dumber every day. Literally. I, I really feel like I'm dumber today than I was yesterday. And I was dumber yesterday than I was the day before. And that's, and the only time where I don't feel that is when I actually get down and write stuff out. It's, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. It's, it's, I write more, more for myself than I do for other people because yeah, it just makes me, it forces me to synthesize better and understand what I'm thinking better. This is something that, that Jer did, you know, or, or Jer does so well, Jeremy Shepard. He just, like, he has an ability, and same, same with, with, with Norris, right, of just taking these diverse and complex things and just communicating it in a really, really simple and synthesized way where, you know, dummies like, like, like me and you can understand it. You know, it's, and I really appreciate that skill, and that's something I'm trying to get better at, and the only way that I can personally get better at it, better at it or one of the ways, I think the biggest way for me is writing. The other way is talking, obviously. Some people are great talkers. I'm a better writer than I'm a talker. But, um, you know, it's, I, it's, it was a big thing for me. So I, I didn't really start writing a lot until 2011. So, you know, coming up on about a decade ago. And, um, yeah, it's been a game changer for me. Really enjoy it. Well, you've been, you've been masterful at it, so uh, kudos to you. Um, you actually have PR'd a few of the upcoming guests next week. Uh, Dr. Norris is on the show uh, next oh, great. week, for those of you who are interested. And I believe the week after we have uh, Matt Jordan and uh, oh, there you go. we had Jerry last week. So, so what, what are you, why are you sitting here with me, buddy? 
because you are. <laughs> you you are got Matt Jer, Norris, and Matt, all three, three doctors. And uh, this, this dumb coach from Altus, well. We had, to, we had to squeeze a, one a, of these things. A whack off in the there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an amazing thinker, and I've always, I've always appreciated the way you think. So uh, I wanted people to hear, hear you and the way you, uh, way you look at things. Uh, we're going to go to another question. Mm-hmm. This one's from Carla Robbins. I have been having some chats with coaches who seem to oppose uh-huh. the thinking. I think this goes back to um, when you were talking about what you look at in the body and the systems and stuff. Um, it says their argument is, quote, I'm trying to chase the adaptation in the muscle slash cardiovascular system slash et cetera, et cetera, rather than trying to chase perfect mechanics, unquote. Of course, the reconditioning and performance therapy model at Altus approached this problem differently. It seems parentheses, maybe even mechanics first before specific adaptations at muscular or cardio- cardiovascular level. What are your thoughts, Stu, on this? All right, I'm, I'm going to go up here and have a look at this question. Can I, can I, can I figure that out? About 352. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long question. Um, it says the timing's at 352. If 352. All right, bear with me. Um, no, I can't do it because it's just putting me on there. Okay, so here I. Will... First of all, yeah, there's there's no such thing as perfect mechanics. All we're trying to do is try to improve mechanics over the course of time, and by improving mechanics, we are assuming that that is having a positive effect on both the health and the performance of the athletes we are working with. So there's a couple of assumptions there that we probably all feel and everybody on this call feels that's pretty well defined and well accepted, but they're not, right? It's it's because they're really challenging things to prove, you know, it's, and I, th- I think there's a lot of people doing work now and doing some really good work to, to better, oh, there we go, so this is a question, to try to bring a little bit more clarity to those um, causal inferences, but that's all they are at this point. And what we're trying to, what we're assuming is that mechanics positively affects health, and mechanics also positively affects performance. And we're all here, and we all agree with that uh, perspective. But it, it's it's not as uncontroversial as what many think. You know, there's a lot of people that would would definitely disagree with that. Um, and then just getting back to what you were saying before, Scotty, and I'll get back to the question, but around dy- dynamical systems, for example, right? And, and I know dynamical systems doesn't say this. It's it's not, um, or dynamical systems theories. Theorists don't necessarily say this. It doesn't give you carte blanche to move however way you want. There are mechanical truths or physical truths that we all must abide by as humans, and then there'll be more physical and mechanical truths that all athletes have to abide by within the context of their sports. So mechanics matter. And then how to affect those mechanics comes down to us. So let me just go back to that question. I'm trying to chase the adaptation. This type of thinking, trying to chase the adaptation, the muscle cardiovascular system, rather than trying to chase perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if somebody's saying that, I mean, they're just, um, you know, that's a straw man argument because I don't think any of us are chasing perfect. It doesn't exist. We're all dynamical systems. We all move in different ways, in individual ways. We all will move in different ways today that we do tomorrow. We're just trying to, and I don't even like the word optimize, because often it's, that's, that's, that's 
also, uh, you know, it, it doesn't exist. We're just trying to improve upon how a person moves so they can move better. So it hopefully will affect, like I said, their performance and their health. Um, so if, if somebody's saying that, you know, you're, you're trying to chase perfect mechanics, like I said, just call them up on that word. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get this person moving better. And if, if anybody can tell me that that is not a good objective, that I, I haven't found that person yet. Let's just say, let's, let's just say that. But, you know, they, they don't work in sport if they say, no, nah, it's a, the way in which you move or the quality in which you move is not important. It clearly is, right? We know that we don't necessarily need the scientific justification for it, although it is coming. And some, some people like Jordan Mendeguchi are doing a lot of work and J.B. Moran uh, and um, Johan Lati, for example, in the sprints world are doing this work now, uh, showing that there is a causal connection between how we move and the performance of the health of people. So it's, it's there. It's just taking time to, for the rest of the world to figure out what we already kind of know. Well, I think the thing too, Stu, you like I, and I think that's one of the, the places where we, we most connect is on the, the idea of context. I mean, everything has a contextual sort of association, so you can't take context out of the question. So at the end of the day, like I think where we get stuck sometimes is people will get into, again, that silo of, well, I, I want to improve. I'm really a movement quality person versus a, a movement quantity person. And I think they, they, they live symbiotically at the end of the day. We're trying to improve quality, but we've got to also improve performance and power and strength and all these other things. So they are symbiotic. It's just, when do we nudge each of these and what is the best timing for that? And how do they all sort of effectively move towards a better mousetrap at the end of the day? And, you know, that's, it's not, it's to not get dogmatically stuck in one or the other. It's to understand the context of where they, they best fit at a certain moment. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And it just goes again to systems thinking, right? It's just Zooming out and looking at, don't look at the individual elements, look at how they interact with the others. Just, just if you don't see it, zoom out some more. If you don't, still don't see it, zoom out. And you'll see it eventually in context with, 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 with how it interacts with everything else. So you, you nailed it. But that's not interesting to people, is it? What is more interesting is these, you know, fighting these binary opposites. And, you know, complexity doesn't sell. It's, 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 a, it's real challenging. Mm-hmm. you know nuance no one's interested in nuance anymore but that's that's the world we live in man it's uh, it's very nuanced that's why i like listening reading about uh, your connections with jazz and all that stuff too because there's nuance in jazz my friend for we sure have, yeah. the, ten, the 10 minute warning here um we have how many questions left Dan? we have a few okay two or three gonna... so do you know, I'll do, Stu, is I'll send it to you and ask it to you at the same time. So then that way. It, only if it's a long one. If it's a short one, like my memory is good for about six or seven seconds. Oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just try and find it again. Okay. You mentioned having to become knowledgeable in lots of areas of focus, therapy, nutrition, et cetera. Have you encountered any issues regarding scope of practice or being able to use those things? <laughs> Scotty's, Scotty's laughing because he knows the answer to this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer is next question. yes. Next question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I was driven by, and like I said, I, I didn't know what systems thinking was. 
for early on, my objective was to improve the performance of the people I was working with. So that's the purpose of the system. The purpose of what I'm doing is to get this athlete bigger, stronger, faster, whatever it is. That was my purpose. And I would tend to try to, to just do what I needed to do to drive that purpose forward. And if people were getting in the way of that purpose, and I felt it was, you know, getting in the way of the performance or, or, of the athlete or, or it wasn't improving the health of the athlete, then I would just drive through. I would just find a way around it. And for sure, there was times where I probably did things that were way outside of my scope of practice. But if I, if I wait until that becomes a part of my scope of practice, then how am I ever going to learn? You, you, you know, it's, and obviously, you don't do stupid stuff. Don't start adjusting next. You know, I mean, I never did that. But that's the way in which we learn about other things, and we just do it. So, yeah, I didn't have expertise in nutrition when I started giving nutritional advice. I didn't have, I wasn't an expert therapist when I started working on people. I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't know anything about any of these things before I did them. But I learned about them and developed more expertise in them by doing it. And I think we just get super scared by these, by these words, you know, stay in, stay in your lane or stay inside of your own scope of practice. And we just stay here that we don't develop that broad expertise, that we don't develop actual true experts in this field just because of people like that, whether it's administrators or, or bosses or whatever, telling you to stay in your lane. And, yeah, I, I, that, that was a 20-year battle of me banging my head against the wall every single day, every day. But if I'm, if I'm driven by the purpose and I just keep – I understand what my purpose is. Okay, I'm just trying to get these athletes better. That was my purpose. That's their purpose. You don't want to be on this bus. That's okay, but just don't get in my way and don't get in their way because we we are on the bus. And yeah, for sure, I there's probably times, Scotty, and as as you well know, that I, I I did that in probably inappropriate ways and made mistakes. Um, I hope that I would be better at that now, but I hope that those people, and I think most of them do, because I've talked to many of them since, also understood that. I had, you know, the, the greatest intentions through that period as well, you know, and I don't feel like I'm the person that I am today without actually doing that, without breaking some of those rules. And I remember, you know, setting up a therapy table in our office in the old oval, for example, because I wasn't able to do therapy out on the track. You know, it's, we had a, we brought a kitchen, we got a kitchen into our office and Matt, you know, Matt will remember this. We were selling meals out of this kitchen. So we had a private chef make meals for all of the athletes because they didn't have a good, they would just go to, you know, the university cafeteria and eat this crappy food. So we, we set this deal up with the chef. Chef was making, making meals. We were able to sell them to the athletes for five bucks. Wasn't, you know, we weren't making any money on them, but the athletes now are, are, are have healthy food options every single day of their, their training. They can just finish training, come to the office, give us five bucks. Here's your meal. Well, that got shut down, and as soon as anyone found out about it, obviously, right? So it's, we were, we, I think we were able to hide it for about three weeks, and then somebody found out, and it got shut down. You know, so, so things like that is, is, but you don't learn until you actually do it. So it's, um, yeah, I have a big issue with that whole thing. I really do. And um, as long as, like I said, as long as we're not putting the athletes in danger, and sometimes we don't know. And if there is, if we do have questions about, and I'm not sure about this, then that's the time to just back off and ask some questions and get other people involved. 
Yeah, well, I think I think you know your process of growth over time has come to recognize where sometimes those those choices have to be made that make sense. But uh, I think I think we get too entrenched in scope of practice sometimes. I think there's a purpose for it. There's a purpose to understanding where that line is simply so that we understand what our expertise is. But at the same time, I think we get too entrenched, and that actually isn't serving the purpose, like you said of us coming together and really solving a problem together. So Yeah, it's, it's also, Scotty, I mean, the reality is is not everybody who does what we do are good at what they do. So not everybody that works in sport are excellent at what they do. And, you know, we've got a choice there, right? We can, all right, you know, you're not very good, but that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll deal with it. But if it's, if it's negatively affecting the performance or the health of the athlete, then we've got to do something about that, whether that's, you know, whether that's mo- you know, moving the athlete to a different scenario or a different environment or with different people. That is the reality. And people sort of get scared of that, especially in Canada, where it's all, hey, let's all get along and be nice. You know? This isn't about being nice. This is we're trying to win Olympic medal here. You know, that's, that is the purpose, not to get along with everybody, which is, which is also important. But let's understand what the purpose is. Just make sure you finish with a hug at the end of the day. You're okay. Always, man. <laughs> Except now. <laughs> we have another question? I actually put it here for oh, you. Question from Glenn Kenny. Kenny. Kenny, sorry. The majority of your experience is sprinting. What did you learn many years ago from your experience in speed skating in Calgary that helped you evolve professionally? Was it uh, or, um, bobsled? What did you do? No, I did some speed skating too. I mean, well, I didn't. I, I can't skate. But I worked with, um, you know, I, I helped out a few speed skaters on with their sprinting. So, uh, Clary Hughes and, uh, and a few others. Um, and then that sort of led into me beginning to actually coach a few athletes. I also worked with uh, Cindy Claussen for many years with, with her therapy and a few other things and helped out Matt with, with some of the work around Cindy. But I also started coaching um, – uh, Jeremy Weatherspoon and Mark Nielsen, uh, two obviously very elite sprint speed skaters. And I, 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 I can't say that I learned much from speed skating that I've taken into sprinting, but my, my bias was, or my lens that I was looking through when I started coaching those two guys was through a sprinting lens. So I brought everything that I knew from sprinting and tried to apply it to what they were doing. You know, it's, um, you know, I, I was very ignorant of a lot of the other things around the tech, you know, technical aspects of speed skating. But from 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 speed skating to sprinting, I wouldn't say there's much been crossover there, to be honest. Other than other than conversations with Jeremy, and you know, Jeremy's one of the. I don't know if you've had opportunities to talk much with Jeremy, Scotty, but he's one of the brightest, most intelligent athletes I've ever worked with. And I've learned a ton from talking to him about, you know, mechanics and coordination and the importance of, of technique and progressions. And, you know, it's just a super smart guy. And no, I never had a chance to work with him, but uh, I've heard great things about him. So, yeah. Um, I had a question at the end here just real quick, and then I'm going to wrap things up. But, uh, you know, you're a big uh, proponent of, of looking at movement and becoming a movement quality um, expert in essence. So, you know, what would be your recommendation to the, the, the general pop on, on this, on this call about getting to know the sports, the sport you work with or the sports you work with better 
Um, is it, is it watching more video? Is it going out and watch, watching people move in, in time and space? What, what, what do you feel is something people should spend their time doing when it comes to learning about movement? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think it starts with that, right? Um, you know, more and more, it seems that the people getting into this line of work are less interested in watching people move and watching people play the sport or play the game and more interested in all the analytics or the data and everything that surrounds it, all the quantified, the, the quantifiable stuff rather than qualitative stuff where, you know, my, my recommendation is just first and foremost, we have to have an appreciation and respect for the qualitative aspect of how people move. We can affect that and we can't affect it unless we understand how people move. So the only way we can do that is, like you said, is to watch people move. And, you know, it became a bit of, um, and it still is to this day, to be honest with you, I, I can't watch people move without doing it critically. You know, if I'm walking down the street, I'll be trying to critique how that person's walking, for example, right? Because it, it became such a big part of what I did over the course of, of decades. But most people I find is, you know, and when I go on and visit other teams or other coaches, you know, they're at practice, but they're not necessarily intently involved in the practice. And it's, you don't get better at something until you have intention around it. You have the intention to get better at that. So if you have the intention of, get, of developing, developing better coaches' eyes, then you need to intently watch people move a lot. You, can't, you just can't show up and just watch. You actually have to think about it and be critical. And so for me, it was watching as much as I possibly could, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of video every week, hours of watching everybody, but not just standing on the side of the track or not, not just standing on the side of the field, but really intently watching people and how they moved and then comparing how this individual moved with that individual and how that individual moved with how they move tomorrow and next week and next month. And then, you know, Dan is a big believer in watching film backwards as well. So it gets us out of our biases. You know, we're so biased to what, towards watching people move in one way. Um, I also feel that too many people now, when they do watch video, the only video, they only watch it in slow-mo, where I think it's really important to also watch it in normal speed and maybe even fast speed because people actually move in normal speed. Believe it or not, they don't actually move in slow-mo out in the field. So we need to be able to see that. So it's, it's just being intensive about it and spending time trying to develop that skill if you think it's an important skill. Awesome. I, I think it is. I believe so too. That's yeah. why I ended with that question. Yes. Stuart, thank you for uh, your time today. Uh, all, all the people that we invite on here are exceptional professionals and what they do and your time is very valuable. So I truly appreciate you taking the time today, sir. Thank yeah. you for having me on guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks I just want to remind everybody that uh, we have a GoFundMe campaign that uh, is helping out people who are struggling in, during this time, and we'd appreciate you uh, donating to that if you enjoyed today's session. Next week we will have. Thank you, Jamie. Put it in the uh, in the in the notes. It's also on our page. Next week, Dr. Stephen Norris, who as Stu said, is a brilliant human being. We'll be on chit chatting, and maybe even Stu will be here to listen to Steve. Absolutely, that'd be awesome. Once again, thank you, sir. I'll thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for your time. Have a good day, everybody. Have a, take care and Thanks good rest guys. of the week. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.